as I was looking through the notes, it's uh, created to worship. And then as I was going through the notes earlier in the week, I'm looking at Rick Warren's like notes that he gives us as an outline to have the sermon align with the, the midweek thing. And it's living a generous life is the title that he has. And he's talking about worship and community built through generosity. And I thought, well, I don't know if they were in a building program when he did this or what, but I couldn't figure it out at first. But I mean, worship, I mean, giving obviously is a form of worship and generosity builds community as we'll see. Um, but then it's interesting. I realized how we line things up that we're coming right into Advent season and right into Christmas. And uh, God has arranged it that we have this sermon here, this message on generosity hit us, I think, right at the right time. And so this morning, as I was sitting down there and we were talking about Christmas and talking about generosity and talking about all the generosity that's been poured out for different families in this congregation, I thought, why did I even worry about this? This is exactly the message we're supposed to be hearing this morning. And uh, so God has it all worked out way ahead of me. I don't know why I, I get uptight about these things. Um, so, so today, the title in our, in our sixth week, our final uh, sort of group week um, on Created to Worship is actually about living a generous life and how living a generous life uh, builds community and how living a generous life uh, is fellowship and how living a generous life conforms us into the likeness of our generous God. And uh, the word for community in the Bible that you have all heard, I'm sure, for fellowship, which is what we're trying to build here, community, is koinonia. And I'm sure you've heard that word before. Uh, I'm sure there was some sort of koinonia singers or koinonia camp or koinonia something that you did. And uh, it's one of the Greek words that everybody sort of knows in the church. And it's an important word because it's translated a lot of different ways. And the reason that it's translated in the Bible, and you don't see this when you're not looking at the Greek, you don't realize that it's the same word you're reading, it's translated five or six different ways in the Scripture because fellowship and community takes on a lot of different aspects. And so there's lots of different ways at looking at koinonia. And so it's important that we understand how it's translated. It's not just fellowship, but it's also community. Um, And there's a lot more than these. It's translated participation, and it's translated as contribution, and it's translated as generosity. This word koinonia uh, gets translated um, several different ways, and I do have a slide on that at some point, I think, that comes along. (laughs) I'll let them do their thing. I'm sorry. And uh, so, so those different ways of translating koinonia are important that we understand that there's different ways of understanding fellowship. And it's important that you understand that if you're going to have fellowship together, that there's got to be a sense of community, and there has to be some participation on my part and your part. If there's going to be community at Lakeside, we have to participate. That means giving of ourselves in some way. There has to be a participation. There has to be a contribution that I make from my life into your life, and you make from your life into other people's lives in order for there to be community. You understand what I'm saying? And so that's where this idea of koinonia, of generosity, comes from. When the Scripture is talking about fellowship, when it's talking about community, it has built into that word the understanding of generosity because you can't have community without giving of yourself into other people. You can't have community without generosity. You have to be generous with your time, as we talked about, in appreciating people and affirming people and spending time with people. You have to be generous with your energy and your money and your resources and your wisdom and your encouragement. You have to be generous. You have to be outgoing with all of these different things in your life in a generous way in order for community to be built the way Scripture and God intends us to build community. You can't really enjoy community without all these other things. 
You can't just take koinonia. You can't just take fellowship and say we're going to have fellowship and not have contribution and participation and generosity and all the other things that it means. And here's just a few examples of what I mean of that word koinonia. In Philippians 4.15, it says, When I left, this is Paul speaking, When I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. And so that partners in giving there, again, in the English, you just read partners in giving. It's koinonia. That's the word there, koinonia. Fellowship or community is partners in giving. Or in Hebrews 13.16, it says, Do not neglect to do good and share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So you read that, you don't see koinonia. But the word share there, the sharing that is pleasing to God is the word koinonia. Fellowship, community. It keeps going through Scripture. In 1 Timothy 6.18, it says, Be generous givers, sharing with others. And that phrase, willing to share, is just one word in the Bible, but the word is koinonikos. It's the adjective of koinonia. And so you can't have generosity without giving, or you can't have community without generosity. And so as you go through Scripture, this word koinonia, which has all these different meanings about fellowship, keeps coming up. And so... You can't have community without generosity, and we can't complete a study of community without looking at how we are to be more generous to each other. And so that's what we're looking at today, just a few simple things on generosity in terms of creating community and creating in us a more Christ-like image and becoming more conformed to the image of God. And so why does God want us to learn to be generous with each other? And there's several sort of benefits in our life when God says I'm generous with other people. This was what will happen in your life. And so we'll run through them relatively quickly here. Generosity creates community is the first thing as I talked about. In 2 Corinthians 9, 12 to 13, it says, Your generosity not only provides for the needs of God's people, but also produces prayers of thanksgiving to God. And so when we're generous with each other, we thank God for each other and we're drawn closer together. And there's this author, Randy Fraze, and he wrote a book. He called it, this book, he called it The Connecting Church. And he learned about the connection between generosity and community from his unchurched neighbor. And, and the, where he learned this lesson about community and generosity from his neighbor, who is not a Christian, didn't go to church or anything, he said, his neighbor asked if he could borrow my ladder, and I said, of course. And then later on, Randy learned that his neighbor already had a ladder. But his neighbor wanted to borrow his ladder, Because then he would have to keep coming over to get the ladder and talk to him and then bring the ladder back and they could talk again. And so his neighbor was actually using the ladder and the generosity of Randy in order to build community. It was completely a ploy on his part. (laughs) And so Randy then realized that he, you know, again, God working through this completely unchurched neighbor who just had this little generosity trick is that that's how community is built. That as we need things from each other, we are engaging with each other. And so we can learn to use our generosity and use the generosity of others to engage in community. If we have everything we need and we don't need anybody else, and next weekend I need a chainsaw, by the way, if anybody has a chainsaw. Uh, (laughs) But if we have everything all of ourselves and we don't need anybody for anything, then no community gets built. It's great when you can go to your neighbor and ask to borrow his chainsaw or his ladder or or borrow a, um, you know, a cup of sugar, whatever it is that you need. It builds, it builds community, you know? So if you've got a shop vac or you've got a chainsaw or you've got whatever, you build community by being generous. And the Bible says this in Matthew 6. It says, your heart will be wherever your treasure is. In other words, wherever I put my time, my money, my effort, my energy, wherever I invest myself, that's where my attention is. So if I put my stuff and my attention and my money on other people, 
then that's what I will invest in on other people. You know, so if I'm always generous and loaning things out to people and giving people things and giving them my time, and if you have a truck, you know what I'm talking about because everybody needs to move at least once. And if you have a truck, you're the person they call. But if you are generous with that, then you know that you're building community with them and your heart will be wherever your treasure is. So use your stuff to build community. Use your stuff to connect to other people and that's where your heart will follow into the lives of other people. The first Christians were famous for their generosity. In Acts chapter 4, it says, The community of believers shared everything in common. They were a family. They just shared it all, just like we've been praying about and talking about families in need. And as we're making these Christmas hampers, by the way, you need to get a look at these. Um, today was the day to, for the keen people to have their hampers in, and the keen people did bring them in. And this is a sample of how to do a hamper. Okay, So come up here and take notes afterwards and uh, get those in for next week. But sharing of the Christmas hampers, sharing with each other, Christians have everything in common. And in fact, I, w- I want to point this out. There was this emperor, Julian, and he wrote a letter to a, a governor of his, uh, Arceusus, not that it matters who he is, but in his letter, he's talking about the Christians. And in his letter, he says, For it is disgraceful when no Jew is a beggar, and the impious Galileans, that's their word for Christians at the time, and the impious Galileans support our poor in addition to their own. Everyone is able to see that our co-religionists are in want of aid from us. And so he's a pagan emperor, and he's frustrated that the Christians are taking care of everybody, including the pagans, and he's making the empire of Rome look bad because he's frustrated that the generosity of the Christians is uh, taking care of everybody in the Roman Empire, and the pagans and the emperor is unable to. And uh, so the generosity is powerful. Generosity is this force in history that, that it's easy to overlook, but it was actually getting on the emperor's nerve that the Christians were taking care of his people because the Christians were so generous, and uh, they were taking care of everybody. And so you want to create real community? You want to affect people's lives? Be generous right? Give without needing a return. Invest in their life. Care about them with generosity and be open-handed with things and you'll see communities change and communities be built. Secondly, generosity defeats materialism. The more generous I am with you, the more it defeats materialism in my life, right? I mean, we agree that in North America, pretty easy to see where we live in a materialistic culture. And so, The antidote to materialism is generosity. Every time you give something away, you're taking a bite out of materialism. Every time you let something go, you're decreasing materialism in your life. You have a spiritual victory in your heart every time you're generous. Every time you give your time, every time you sit down and chat with somebody, every time you you give to somebody in need, every time you, you pass up on something and let somebody else have something first, it just defeats the centric, the self centered materialism in your life. And so generosity is important for us in building community and important for us spiritually because it defeats materialism. The Bible says in Matthew 6, 24, it says you cannot serve both God and money. And it doesn't say you should not serve both God and money. It says you cannot serve both God and money. You cannot be fixated on getting everything you need for yourself and meet the, and serve God in the way that he would have you serve uh, by serving yourself with money. It's impossible. You have to be generous. You have to be giving away. That is conforming to the image of God. That's the service that God expects from you. The number one thing in your life that you love is either God or it's the money. And so, do you love to give or do you love to get? Is it painful to see someone get something that you could have for yourself? Is it hard to give something away that you know you could easily sell and get some money for? You know, and what do other people say about you? Do they say you're generous? And so these are just things that determine what sort of guides you. You know, I I know some people that, you know, they could 
look at something and say, oh, you know, I could get 100 bucks for that and sell that, and they get the 100 bucks, and then they end up giving the 100 bucks to somebody else, and I just think, well, why don't they just give the thing away? Why do they sell the thing? Just, but there's just some people that just they can't give something away without getting something back for it. You know? And so you have to examine your heart and understand what the number one thing in your life is and realize that by giving away and by releasing things and being generous, you are serving God and not money. Materialism is our biggest idol in North America by far. And, uh, you know, you have to guard against it. And the best way to guard against it is by giving. And it's hard to be materialistic when you're giving it all away. And so anytime you're generous with other people, you're creating community with them and you're defeating materialism. Thirdly, it strengthens our faith. Generosity strengthens my faith. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 9.13, your giving proves the reality of your faith in the gospel. There's more promises in the Bible about giving than promises about any other subject. In fact, God talks more about giving than he does about heaven or hell. Now, why would God talk more about giving than he would about heaven and hell? And it's because he wants us to become more like him. And as we've been singing and as we've been praying and as we've been talking about this morning, our God is a generous God. And so when you go through Scripture and you realize that God talks more about giving and God gives more promises in the Bible about giving than just about anything else, you realize that there is a generous heart to God and a generous nature to God, and God wants us to be conformed to that generous nature. And so it strengthens our faith as we engage with generosity, if you want to look at it that way. That as we become generous people, it engages our spirit and it engages our ability to become more like our generous God. Would we disagree that God's a generous God? No, I mean, I think we can all say God is a generous God, right? We've been praying that and singing that all morning long. Our God is generous. And so you have to sooner or later believe that God is generous and believe his promises in the Bible about his generosity and that he will use those promises to conform you into his image. Sooner or later, you have to decide whether you believe them or not. That this principle of generosity is what God intends for our lives. In 2 Corinthians 9, it says, Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. So if you're constantly giving out encouragement, and you're constantly being generous with affirmation, and you're constantly sowing kindness, what does God promise you'll reap? Affirmation and encouragement and kindness. And if you sow that generously, then you will reap generously. And if you sow encouragement and affirmation sparingly, then you will reap that sparingly. People won't be all that affirming to you. God promises that as you sow generously, also you will reap generously. God wired the universe that way. Whatever we give out, God is going to bless us by giving back. And so sooner or later you have to ask, and I have to ask myself, do I trust that promise? Where he says, if you'll be generous, I'll take care of all your needs. At some point, when we run into these promises, we have to ask ourselves, do we really believe them? Or do we think, that's a really nice sentiment, God, but I'm going to keep my deep pockets and my big bank account, and I'm going to keep all of my stuff anyway, just to be sure that I'm taken care of. Because I'm not sure that your promise to take care of me is really a promise. Like, at some point, that's what it comes down to. Are you going to believe the promises of God? That as you are generous, and wherever you are generous, he will pay back more, and you will reap generously and reap a lot more than what you sow. Because that's what he says. He asks us to do that because it's the exact opposite of our human nature. He's saying you're born with a human nature, a sin nature, which says it's all about me. Take it. I want it all. I want everything for myself, and if I don't have it, then I'm going to need it later, and I'm going to keep that thing because you know I never know when I'm going to need it, and I want it to be about me. 
And God is trying to take that human nature and he's trying to transform it into his nature, into the nature of Christ and into the nature of God the Father. And his nature is generous. And so he's asking us to grow in our faith and to serve our spirit by becoming more generous, by working at being generous, because he wants to take that human nature and transform it. And Bob McEwen actually tells this little story about his son. He took his son over to McDonald's and he bought him supersized French fries, right? You ever been to McDonald's and you get to supersize it? And it's like this basket, basically, hamper of French fries. And uh, so he's driving back home with his son and they're in the car and you can't have McDonald's in the car and not eat it because it smells like McDonald's, right? You know what I'm talking about. And so he's driving back home with these and he, that the French fry smell from McDonald's is in the car and he reaches over and he takes one French fry out of his son's French fries and he eats it. And his son gets all upset, and he says, Dad, you can't have that one. These are my fries. And Bob says immediately he had three thoughts. First of all, his thoughts were this. My child has forgotten that I am the source of all fries. (laughs) I brought him here, and I took him to McDonald's, and I made the order, and I paid for the order, and I handed him the fries, and I'm driving him back home. He would not have any fries if it weren't for me. The only reason he got any fries was because I am the great fry giver. He said, the second thing that I thought is that my child doesn't realize I could take them away in a second if I wanted to. Or on the other hand, I could buy him an entire truckload of fries if I wanted to because I have the power to do either. I can either take all of his fries or give him more fries than he can imagine. The third thing I realized is I didn't need his fries. I could easily get my own fries. I could buy myself a hundred packs of fries if I wanted to. I just wanted him to learn to be unselfish. Those three lessons are how God wants you to learn to be generous with other people. God says, I want you to remember that I'm the source of everything you've got. You would have nothing if I didn't give it to you. You wouldn't even be alive if it weren't for me. I chose to create you, and I've chosen to give you life, and I've chosen to give you all the things you have in your life. It's all from me. And two, I could take it all away if I wanted to. I could take away the things that you have just like that, or I could double it or triple it. God says, I could give you ten times what you have if I wanted to. You have exactly what I want you to have. And then thirdly, God says, I don't need your fries. I don't need your stuff. I don't need your money. I'm not poor. I just want you to learn to be unselfish. As, we, as Mark said, God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He doesn't need our money. He doesn't need our stuff. He wants us to give our stuff willingly to teach us to be generous. And so you can remember that, the story of the fries. It's a great story. To teach us the three lessons about God. That he has made us. He's given us everything that we have. He could take it all away if he wants. Or he could double it or triple it or give us ten times as much. And it's not that he needs any of it. But he wants us to learn to be unselfish and learn to be generous. To develop our spiritual conditioning. To develop our spiritual image into that of his son. And what happens when I start becoming a more generous person? The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 9, 8. And God will generously provide all that you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. God says, if you practice generosity, being generous with the people around you, I will make it up with, for you by giving you everything you need and the ability to be generous as well. And at our last annual meeting, we presented a budget broken down into two parts. There was the part of the offerings that we could expect to see come in. There was sort of, this is what we expect that we can do. And then there was the stuff that we want to do and all the stuff that we need so that we don't have to depend on surplus or or borrowing from the past or anything like that, all the God-sized stuff for ministry that we want to do. So we had sort of the stuff that we can expect in our own sort of human understanding, and then there's the stuff that we want God to do. And that's how we sort of presented the budget in a way. And so 
we want God to fill up all of our faith and raise all of our faith by our generosity to see all this ministry take place and, and leave it up to him in order to, for him to meet our budget without using any surplus funds. And we have a basic idea about what we can do in our own strength, but as we are generous and we are conformed into the image of our generous God, then we will see God pour out generously on the ministries here at Lakeside. And so that's the encouragement here, is that God strengthens our faith when we see that he can provide for his ministry more than we can imagine and meet every need that we encounter along the way. We've got a lot of people that need help right now. We talk about the Kitchmans, and we talk about these other different people that need help, and we think, oh, you know, we've got to care for these people, and there's so much generosity being poured into them. You know what I absolutely know? If there was five more Kitchman situations, we would rise to it. We could do five. We could do ten. If there's a need, this church can meet it. I absolutely know it. Because you're a generous people, and God's a generous God. So don't worry about it. Just, just give generously. Let's meet each other's needs, and God will pour out sufficient. Fourthly, generosity is an investment for eternity. These last few points I'll go through quickly, although I'm going quick anyway. You know, Rick preaches for an hour when he gives me these notes. I get notes from Rick Warren that are an hour long. So I'm cutting them down to 30 minutes for you guys generosity is an investment for that's my generosity to you you don't have to listen to me for another 30 minutes (laughs) i just want you to know what i go through for you every week generosity is an investment in eternity just keep this in mind luke 16 9 says use your worldly resources to benefit others in this way your generosity stores up a reward for you in heaven i did a sermon on this last fall i think if you remember on the shrewd steward the parable of the shrewd steward and god basically says look you've got this money here on earth use this money on earth smart use it to buy treasure in heaven because this stuff on earth is going to go away. And so use this money on earth as long as you have it in order to earn up rewards for you in heaven. You can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead. First Timothy 6 says, tell the rich. And when, when Timothy says tell the rich, that means everybody that's here today. Because if you're in, a, in North America, you're rich. Um, there's, a, there's a website, uh, the www.globalrichlist.com, all one word. Look up globalrichlist.com sometime and type in your household salary. I can tell you right now, everybody in this room is in the top 1.5% in the world. Okay, so you're rich. So when Timothy says, tell the rich, he's talking to all of us, tell the rich to use their money to do good, giving happily to those in need, always being ready to share with others whatever God has given them. By doing this, they will be storing up real treasure for themselves in heaven, the only safe investment for eternity, and they will be living a fruitful Christian life down here as well. That's First Timothy 6, Rick Warren's paraphrase. That's a good one. So he's saying, pour out that wealth and store up a treasure in heaven. There's no greater investment than the kingdom of God. And when you help other people with your time and your money and your resources and your wisdom and your affirmation and your encouragement, whatever you have to help other people with, God says, I'm counting that as an investment in heaven because you're not spending it on yourself. You're using it to help someone else. And that means you're doing it for me. And so there's lots of examples of generosity in this church that you don't even know about, and they happen all the time. There are people here who have had their mortgage payments made, that have groceries show up at their door, that have hundreds of dollars left in an envelope. There's a generous heart at Lakeside, and as you invest in that generosity, you're storing up for eternity. Fifthly, generosity blesses me in return. It only creates community 
not only creates community and defeats materialism, but it strengthens my faith and an investment for eternity, but it blesses me in return right now. There's another word for generous in the Bible, and it's the word gracious, and God shows us his grace by being generous to us. And there's lots of examples of how generosity blesses us in return. In Deuteronomy 15, it says, Give generously and do so without a grudging heart. And then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. God says basically, as you are generous, I will pour out blessing upon you. So do you really believe that? Do you believe that promise? That as you trust God with your generosity, he will be more generous with you. We trust God with our eternal salvation. Can we also trust God with our money? We trust God with our, our, our soul. Can we also trust God with our bank account and with our time and with our being unselfish towards each other? Let's trust God and be a generous people. Sixthly, generosity conforms me more into the image of God. And this is an important one. God is generous. John 1.16 says, From his abundance, we, all, we have all received one gracious blessing, one after another. Or as it said probably in the translation, that you have grace upon grace we've received from God. And so to become like him, we've got to be generous. God is a giver. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And you can't give without loving, but you can love without giving. right? But you want to... You want to give in love the way God does. You want to be conformed to the image of God in being a loving giver. The word believe is used 242 times. I love how Rick has all these little tidbits. The word believe is used 242 times because God wants us to believe. And the word pray is used 371 times in the Bible because God wants us to pray. The word love is used 714 times in the Bible because God wants us to learn how to love more. But the word give is used... 2,162 times. Maybe God wants us to learn to be givers. Maybe God wants us to learn to be generous. That he would use the verb give over 2,000 times in his scripture to us. First Chronicles 29 says, Everything we have comes from you, Lord, and we can only give you what is already yours. He already owns all the French fries, and so if he owns them all, we can give them back, and he can give us as many more as he wants us to give. And so... We conform to the image of God as we become generous because God is a generous God. God is a giving God. God is pouring out graciousness and blessing day after day upon us. And he wants us to reflect that by pouring out graciousness and blessing upon others day after day. God's generosity far surpasses our own. And he wants us to be just a little bit as generous as he is so that we can imitate him. So that we can grow in our spirit to be more Christ-like and more as he is. And we're about to celebrate exactly what I mean by, by the generosity of God as we come to communion in just a few minutes. In communion, we celebrate the most generous aspect of God, that he would give of himself his only son for us. And so generosity is not just one of the ways we create and keep, is not only one of the ways we create and keep close community, it's one of the ways we worship God. By acknowledging his generous nature and by agreeing with his good plan, for sowing and reaping, and by desiring to conform our nature to his own, what does all that say to God? It proves that we believe that God is good. It proves that we believe that his economy of generosity is the right thing. It proves that his nature of generosity is the nature we want to take on. And so what is that to God? That's worship. When you approve of what somebody says, when you agree that their economy is right, when you conform yourself to follow after their image, 
That's worship. And so our generosity and our giving is a form of our worship. It all comes back to the reality of affirming the goodness of God and desiring ourselves to be more like Him. And in that, we praise God and give Him glory, and that is worship. God's church, if it really resembles God, is a generous church. And we are, and you are, generous people. It's an encouragement to keep up the generosity. It's an encouragement to be creative in our generosity. Right? Be creative about even how you decorate your Christmas hampers that you're about to give out to the people in the community. Be creative and generous in filling those things up. Be over, abounding in generosity as God is to you. Find ways to exceed each other in generosity, and in doing so, worship God and build better community. Now, there's one other word that's translated in the Bible from the word koinonia, and the word is actually communion. In 2 Corinthians 13, 13, we end the 40 days of community taking communion together and in this idea of fellowship and koinonia. And so in 2 Corinthians 13, 13, when it's talking about communion with God, it's talking about the word, it uses the word koinonia. The word is fellowship, the same word in the Bible. And so what's the meaning of communion? Communion is the reminder of the generosity of Jesus Christ. That's why we take it. Jesus, on the night before he went to the cross, took his disciples into a room and he took some bread and he took some wine and he said, these two symbols I'm giving to you, these are the symbols of my body and my blood. And I'm giving you these two symbols to remember what I'm about to do for you. I want you to remember the generosity of your God. I want you to remember that I'm going to lay down my life for you, that I'm giving it up for you. I'm going to die. I'm going to hang on a cross and my body is going to be broken. And this juice is going to represent my blood. And you're always going to remember that I bled for you. And the new covenant is in this blood. And the bread is going to represent my body. The fact that it was hung on the cross for you. And I just want you to remember how much I love you. I want you to remember how much I love you. That I did this so that you could have fellowship with God. And I did this so that you could have fellowship with each other. To break down the sin, to break down the hostility, to break down the selfishness. God came and died, gave his own son generously on the cross. And the whole reason we do anything, any of this, and have anything that we have today is because of the generosity of Jesus Christ. And so the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, Remember the generosity of Jesus Christ, the Lord of all. He was rich beyond our telling. He became poor for your sake so that his poverty might make you rich. And so he's not talking about money here, obviously. He's talking about the true riches of life, the wealth of life, the salvation and time with, and, and, and eternity with God. He says, The God of the universe humbled himself and came to earth to give his own life for our sake. And out of that act of generosity, we have communion with him. And so he went through all those trials and all those tribulations and everything that he went through when he was here living. And then he allowed himself to be accused and put on a cross and crucified. And this is the God who created it all. This is the God who has all the universe in his hands. This is the universe that could have come, this is the God that could have come down off of that cross and he could have saved himself. But instead of saving himself, he chose to save us. And so that's why we take communion, to remember that God, that God of generosity. That's what I want to leave you with. There's, there's all these points of, of koinonia and of, of giving and of sharing and all the things it does for us and all the things that it does to build community. But the one thing that we want to remember is that our generosity is a reflection of God's. That in our generosity, we become more and more like God and we want to become more and more conformed to his nature. And that our generosity is just a poor reflection of his incredible generosity on the cross.
that he would send his son to die for us. And we have this opportunity this morning to take communion to remember it.